coming up in the next episode. So yeah. what I'm scared of is of leaving my child behind. Hello, hello, and welcome everyone to the latest episodes of the Turning Points podcast. Today we have another bumper episode with an interesting guest who will be sharing that defining moment or turning point with us. Remember, you can also be a part of the show by sending us your comments via voice notes or emailing us at the turning points podcast at gmail.com. The turning points podcast at gmail.com. Welcome everyone to another interesting episode of the Turning Points podcast. Today on the line I have Bessie Baloi Lesabani. Bessie Lesabani Baloi, sorry, I beg your pardon. Bessie is a production manager at Supersport International, a mother, a sister, and a friend. Welcome to the Turning Points uh, podcast, Bessie, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you, Tepo. Thank you for, for hosting me today. Cool. How are you feeling? I, I know you've recently been to an operation and are at home. Uh, yes, I'm feeling much better. Yeah. Uh, recovery is making so much progress. So today I'm able to speak. <laughs> so you might find that I'm swelling a bit of my words. but <laughs> Right. <laughs> Yeah, cool. just bear with me. Thank you. Thank you for giving us the time. Um, how do you typically introduce yourself to someone who doesn't know who is Bessie Lesabanewalo? What um, do you say? I say I am Bessie Lesabanewaloi. Yeah. Born and raised in Bela Bela. Okay. A daughter to Maria and Wilson Lesabani. All right. An elder sister to four of my younger siblings, two girls and two boys. A mother to a daughter named Lifika. Right. And a granddaughter to the parents that, to the grandparents that raised their William and Annabaloi. Brilliant. So that's basically the foundation of who Bessie is. Right. So you talk about being born in in Bella Bella, right? Mm. How was it like growing there for you? Um, growing up in in Bella Bella has been very very interesting, and I must say uh, a privilege for for myself. Uh, coming from a community that is very diverse, that is economically challenged. Number one, number two, that is has so much potential for it to become the next best town in South Africa. So it has always been one of those challenges that every time when you go home, you look at home, you're like, what can we do better? Or what can we offer to the world to make this, uh, this town a better place? So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting town, I must say, that it, uh, it enables you to, to literally think outside the box and come up with solutions that's going to bring you brain, come up with solutions that you know that very well that you can sustain them economically because it's one of the towns in Limpopo whereby I think in terms of economical sustainability, it mm -hmm. can be up there. Okay. 
So you talk about that it the town inspires you to come up with outside the box type of solutions. Have you done any sort of outside the box solutions in Bella Bella or have you partnered with anyone in trying to address the economic challenges that you talk about? Uh, not really per se. I cannot say it is a formal thing that I have done for the community. However, I remember growing up in, in Bila Bila at my early teenage years after varsity when we came up with a movement like BBAG. And I think that movement for me was potentially one of the core movements that was the potentially of growing the economy of Bila Bila because we're dealing with the crux issue of, of education in Bila Bila, knowing very well that without education in a world like South Africa, for you to participate in a global market, for you to participate in an economy, for you to come up with solutions that will broaden uh, your, your thinking and your exposure to solutions that you can come and implement in your community mm. requires you to have a sense of an education as, as a basement. So right. BBAG was one of those foundations that I think had so much potential in, in growing the mindset of people in Bila Bila. I like what you just said. So do you maybe want to mention some of the leading people of this organization? Because you talked like it was a group of you uh, trying to do something that was going to change the mindset of people. Who are some of the people that you worked with and what were some of the challenges that you guys had? Because you talk about it as it's, it's in the past and what are some of the successes, if any? Um, some of the people that, I think BBAG was, let me start how it was, the foundation of BBAG, how it was, found, it was, it came up as a movement for Bila Bila. So I think it was in 2010, early 2010, when we realized that the metric, metric results for the community schools around Bila Bila had dropped to such a rate that it was actually quite embarrassing. I think it was Riling that had recorded a 0% pass rate, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. for metric pass rate. Yeah. And that, move, that conversation started on Facebook through mutual friends Right. That I had, which involved yourself, Tepo Matila, your Jimmy's of the towns, your Michael Makwela, your Justimo Okai, and LJ Munareng, who started this conversation on Facebook. And what I liked about, about what happened and how BBAG has started is that it wasn't just a verbal conversation that happened and then we went back to our cozy lives of continuing with life as if. We, we are not capable of fixing this problem. Yeah. So that's how then we had our first BBAG meeting where we actually had to ask the, the municipality to come and fund us and assist us by having a BBAG, what do they call them? Summit. A summit, a, BB, a first BBAG summit. Education so by summit. then the, the municipality, yes, yeah. the, so the, the the mayor who was currently at place, um, Dibang, Dibang, and the communication manager who was there at that place, Matume Sibilibili, they, they understood what we're talking about, if I may say so myself. 
they yeah. understood that this challenges requires community participation for it to be able to be tackled down. So we understood that we're dealing with a big elephant and by us dealing with a big elephant, there are many stakeholders that are needed to participate in coming up with solutions of making sure that this movement and the community of Bela Bela grows to its full potential and that it can be where it is in the near future. Yeah. So by starting that movement, it, the, the first education summit, that's when we actually invited a lot of schools, um, poli uh, the police forum was there, churches, parents, and people generally from the community to say, let us solve Bilabila's issues as the people who stay in Bilabila. So what are the burning issues that are actually affecting our education? So mm -hmm. a lot of ideas were brainstormed, solutions were, were brought up onto the table. And from there on, we started implementing. So right. I think a good week or so later, we started having our own Saturday classes in, in Bilabila High School. Wow. Yeah. So we had Saturday classes for, for matriculants to assist them with the challenges that they address in the summit, saying that, you know what, we're having challenges with mathematics, we're having challenges with geography, we're yeah. having challenges with science and business economics and understanding this thing. And it's not that the teachers are not teaching. However, sometimes just because it's happening in a classroom environment whereby a teacher is focused on delivering uh, a certain topic because they are guided by the curriculum from the education, it doesn't allow for those who are still, if you want to call them that, those who are learning at a, at a slower pace to be able to catch up with the curriculum. So that's why the Saturday classes came into place. Yeah. So we, we did a lot of Saturday classes where people from BBAG who claim themselves to be the expert knowledge of a certain subject came in and facilitated Saturday classes. So number one, if you look at our... Geography. I think I used to teach geography. I used to teach geography and tourism because geography and tourism were the strongest modules or subjects that I passed in matric, knowing that like I was very comfortable with geography and, and tourism. Like you couldn't tell me anything about geography and tourism that I wouldn't be able to explain it to the next person in such a way that they're able to understand the concept and the core objective of what that curriculum is requiring from them so we had people like your um forgot his name uh okay uh pablo or something he was very good with maths from Bela Bela high school Ooh, so he came and taught yes yeah, so he came Shout and out taught yeah. Maths. yeah. <laughs> so he came and taught maths because maths was a subject that he could live and breathe and teach the next person without putting an extra effort into it. So math came to him as second nature. That's why it was easy for him to teach math. And one thing that we also need to understand that is that, especially with, with education and doing most of our learning in English, whereby English is not a first language to, to most of us, it becomes very difficult to understand the concepts because you are taught tourism in English, but if you can have someone explaining travel and tourism in a language that you can fully understand, like Sepedi or Sisut or Sepetswana, you are able to grasp the concept and be able to learn 
and relearn and also share your knowledge with other people because once you understand it, you are able to interpret it in a way that the next person can be able to assist you. Wow. So that's how the movement of BBAG came into place. And I must say that shout out to the people like Michael Umakubela, Justin Moka, Tepo Majila, Dinga, Nisipuma, um, Tidi uh, Mulevazi. Uh, yeah. I'm um, forgetting. LJ Munarengi. There was a lot of us, yes. Yes. Yeah. Your what's his name? I'm forgetting. Your from municipality used to do HR. So and his friends, they always came through to make sure that BBAG helped the community and they helped the young people that we know very well that tomorrow they'll be able to lead us forward. So we've got one successful story that we can actually put ourselves in the back. Like if we look at um, Sebasa, Sebasa Nkul. He's the product of BBAG. Yeah, if Pete Sebasa, at, yes. Yeah, yeah Pete Sebasa. If we look at, I think it's Makhomu or Ma, Ma something. She, Makhavo. Makhavo. also. It's also a product of, of, of BBAG. And look at how they're doing today. Remember, we were the generation that assisted them with the educational challenges that they were having when they were in grade 12 and grade 11. Very and from true. there on, when we started doing those bursary funds uh, or startup funds for, for varsity, there were some of the, there were few people that received that startup fund, like Sivasa, for example. I think he was one of the recipients of our startup buzzer where we could actually assist them in our application for vets for him to go and study maths. And from there on, he came back now. He's a, he's a teacher at one of our communities. It's so that's an amazing story. Yeah. BBAG, yeah, so that's how BBAG was supposed to be and is supposed to be to, to the community of Bila Bila. So we shouldn't be funding careers that are going to go outside town and not come back and reap towards bettering education in our community. So the Sevasa story is one of the core stories that we can actually pat ourselves in the back and say, this is how the vision was supposed to be, was for us to help you to go and study, uh, you going and study to come back into their community and assist other young people to be where you are today. That's an amazing anecdote i would i would have never uh, told it any better than you have and for me i think uh, also being involved was such a privilege because i got to meet a lot of people including yourself bessie an incredible person who has achieved a lot of stuff i mean today you are the production manager for super sport international that's a very big title mm. <laughs> how how did you how did you become a production manager for an international brand like Supersport. Do you want to share with us? Um, so I started at Supersport in 2011. So during the 2010 when BBAG and everything was starting, I was on, I was just after I had completed my diploma in qualification with Varsity College. 
So I was at home and trying to pass time looking after my siblings because my mom had cancer and she was in hospital in Polokwane. So I had to come back home and look after my siblings so that my mom can recover from, from cancer without her having to worry about my younger siblings. Sure. So sorry about that. During that year, ah, oh man, that's why I like that. Okay. <laughs> Life throws a curveball every now and then. The question is, how do you respond to it? Very true. So, um, so um, in 2010, when I was still looking for for employment opportunity and trying to come up from this hole that I was under of life pressure, family pressure, unemployment pressure. I came across a post on Facebook from one of the guys, I can't even remember his name now, who had written that the Super Sport International was coming up with a documentary for the 2010 World Cup. So I went to that guy and I sent him a messenger and he gave me the details of where everything was happening. So I went to Super Sport and did a little bit of my, share my story of how I was involved in the 2010 and 20, uh, 2009 final joint 2010 uh, football world cup. And from there on, I made a make, I met a makeup artist named Anna Marie. So Anna Marie told me about the super sport internship program that was starting in 2011. And okay. she told me about the lady called Frida that I should go and give my CV to and Hopefully, when the opportunity comes, they'll be able to call me to come out for interviews. So I went, delivered my CV, got called for interviews. 2011, in April, I started on an internship with Supersport. So from there on, I've moved across other departments. So in 2011, I was still doing most of my internship as a production assistant learner. And during that year, that's the same year where we had the Rugby World Cup in New Zealand. So I got exposure into to the rugby world. I got exposure into a lot of magazine show and how they actually are run, how everything comes together. Actually, the preparation, the planning, the organizations, the logistics arrangements of everything. So during that period of the Rugby World Cup, I met a guy by the name of Doki Doctrine who was looking after the Super Squad Bliss Channel. So Doki told me about a blaze how they are looking for a production coordinator. So one Saturday morning as I was busy working, he we're heading we're actually having a conversation about how I got into Supersport and what I've been doing before Supersport. So he asked me if I can join the Blaze team to become the shoot schedule coordinator because of my journalism background and everything. So I joined the Supersport Blaze team to become a shoot coordinator for Blaze for like two years or so. And from there on, life happened at Blitz. I got moved to become the coordinator for Supersport Ad Hoc Sports when Varsity Sports was starting to be broadcasted by Supersport. So I did a lot of Varsity Productions, Varsity Athletics, Ad Hoc production like your boxing and, and hockey's that were happening around South Africa. So from... Then in 2013-14, I moved and joined the golf department. So the producer for the golf department, a guy named Louis Harting, my dear friend, 
um, saw me in the corridor and he asked me one day, he's like, yes, I was busy, don't you want to join the golf department? Like, well, not that I'm that busy here. Um, I'm keen to join the golf department. He said, no, the reason why I'm asking is that Esther, the production manager, was soon approaching retirement. So I'm going to need someone to come and look after the logistical operations for the golf department. So in 2014, I joined the golf department and we did many golf events, a lot of golf events. Uh, ran our golf magazine show that was happening on a weekly basis and did a lot of international golf for the Supersport International brand and did a lot of local golf for the Supersport International brand. And until 2015, I still did golf and assisted the then production manager, Monica Mate, in the logistic and pre-planning of the Rugby World Cup that was happening in England in 2015. So little did I know that that was actually preparing me to become the next production manager for the rugby world, for the rugby department in less than a year's time. Sure. So during that year, I was on maternity leave. I went on maternity leave, came back early January 2016 and continued doing golf. And around April or March, Monica then decided to resign. So when Monica resigned, Shivani Said, who was looking after production managers by then, asked me to look after the rugby department as an ex-team production manager. So I was an ex-team production manager for like a month or so. And then after that, I got appointed to be the rugby production manager in 2016 for the rugby department. So from 2016 until now, I'm the rugby production manager. Wow, that's so it's been it's been a journey. <laughs> yeah, but very incredible journey. story. I mean, for me, it sounds like you the the positions that you've been getting have been on relationships that you've built up at SuperSport. Is that a correct assessment? True, true, very true. Because one thing that I I I I got told of many years ago when I joined SuperSport was that it is, it is very important that you don't, you don't work by yourself or you don't work, you don't interact with other people because by you having interaction with people, you are, for, you are finding relationships, you are forming new relationships that you don't know where they're going to lead you in the future. So I think one of my friend's sister once said to me that, you know what, it's very important that when you join the broadcasting world that you are seen be head and be head, uh, be, be seen, be head and be there. So I asked myself, how can I interpret this? So I took mm -hmm. that upon my life. I was like, you know what? I must make sure that I am seen at every event. I make sure that my work is seen. I make sure that my effort in making sure that super sport grows and super sport production are as faultless as possible uh, in that level in terms of performance. I make sure that I am heard, meaning that I need to have a voice every now and then. So you need to be able to interact with people, study company policies. Uh, became part of the workplace forum at Mal a super sport where I I've saved many people's careers from being fired because sometimes <laughs> you, you know when you get managers who don't yeah. read policies and you, you find yourself that you're dealing with a disciplinary hearing 
of this person, but the manager failed to understand the policy of the company. So that was one of my strongest points. I made sure that I understood company policies. That's why you'll find a lot of managers coming to consult with me and saying, this is this and this is happening in my department. What does the company policy say? And I'll be able to advise and say, no, this is the right way of doing it. That is the wrong way of doing it. If you do that, these are the risks. If you don't do that, these are the potential things that might come out from you not doing that. So I, being part of the Workplace Forum for, for Supersport has enabled me to open so many relationships. Like right now, I find myself, I even find sometimes my CEO consulting with me and say, yes, Baringo Workplace Forum. But I'm like, no, man, um, <laughs> things are not so tragic. Just that there's a, there's a policy that governs all of us. Right. So it is very important that we, we make sure that we understand company policies and we use them to our full potential and to growing the business, number one, and growing the talent that we have. Because policies are just there to guide us. We just need to make sure that we, we behave so that we don't infringe with the policies of the organizations. Right. Okay. So I think you've said a mouthful. We're going to take a short little break and be back right after this with Bessie. Welcome back to the turning points. I'm still on the line with Bessie Lisava Nebaloi. Uh, thank you so much for staying on the line, Bessie, with us. Um, before we went to the break, we were talking about your your role at Supersport and how you actually be how you became a production manager, from an intern to a production manager for Supersport International. Tell us, um, what does your role entail? What do you do on a daily basis? What, is, what is a production manager and what do they do? So my, my role entails looking after the overall rugby department, if I may say so. So it includes planning for upcoming tournaments that are happening, arranging logistics for those tournaments that are happening, doing a schedule for those tournaments that are happening, um, doing two kinds of schedules. There's um, a talent schedule where we'll be putting in the talented people that we have under our pool, your, your Nick Mallet, your Nas Gota, your Urban Dunganis, your Anyani Shimange. So they need to be scheduled for them to be able to appear on a production. So from that schedule perspective, we then have to marry it with the production schedule, where now you have to schedule your crew. That includes your producers, your directors, your production assistants, your vision mixes, and those two talented pools form part of what we call a production team. And that production team will then work together on delivering a production to the viewers at home. Wow, that sounds like a, a lot of a lot of work, and very difficult work. Um, how easy is it? I mean, to become one of the you talk about talents. You talk the Nick Mallets, uh, the Odwan Dunganis. How easy is it to become one of the talents? And can anyone become one of the talents? I think anyone can become a talent. However, you need talent to become talent. <laughs> Meaning that if you look at the talent pool that we have, those are 
people who have played the sports at a higher level, like super rugby level, or even take it further and say international level of playing rugby. And those people, when they reach retirement age, they now become talent for super sport. So you become talent because you are an expert at, at the sport. Because I, I don't know rugby so much, but if you have played rugby for all your life, you shall possibly have a thing or two to say about, about rugby and where it's going and the weekly rugby productions that are happening or the weekly rugby matches that are happening. So you should be able to have an, what I'll call an expert opinion because you are an expert in, in that field and the viewers mm. at home would like to hear what your expert opinion is about the game that just happened. So, so for you to become a talent, you need to be in, in the game for a very long time. Like you, you will hardly find uh, a talent with someone who has never played the sport. So all the people that we have have played the sport. Others have become coaches. Others are mentors. Others have opened up their own playing uh, players agencies. So what they initially do is that they don't just only give him back the expert opinion as a talent to super sport. They also give him back to growing rugby in, in South Africa. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I'm taking it from a, I know that the people who've never played, who've maybe never played the sport at a high level, but this are, there could, you find there are a lot of people who are like, uh, armchair critics, if, if you'd like to put it that way. People who are at home who are respected either online or they are putting, you know, comments, but they've never really played the, the sport. So those people will never be considered for super sport or to become the talents, um, as you call it. Not really, because one thing that we also need to understand as super sport is that we, they're running a business. <laughs> so for them to put a, a normal Bessie on TV who basically thinks that in my own world, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm an expert in this rugby or in this game. And then I come and I put you on, on a platform like Supersport whereby I've got not just local viewers, international viewers and your credibility then plays a role. Saying that if someone is watching DSTV and playing close to 1000 a month, do you want to be watching someone who has just a self-proclaimed expert in the sports? Or do you want to watch someone who has actually played the sport, who has invested time and resources in them becoming the person that they are today? So in all essence, what we look for when, we, we, when we're hiring talent is the brand association. Is it a, is it a great thing for you, us to be associated with you, number one? Number two, is their value for us to be associated with you? Because all these people that, that we have listed here, they, they've got their own worthiness, if I can say so. So you'll find that your worthiness will determine how much you think about yourself as a business. So in essence, it's like we are employing your services to be broadcasted on our platform. And we're hoping that the viewers at home appreciate it because they are at the end of the day, the key rule in this in this in this in this game because when a viewer is not watching then what's the use of having your best of the best on tv if if there's no one watching and there's no one paying subscription for us to be watching so you need to have the best of the best of the best in the game so that when you've got 
when you are charging people 1,000 rand to be watching DSTV, they know that part of their money that they are contributing to that subscription goes to paying those people to make sure that they deliver the service at the highest level that you yeah. can think of in the field. Right. In 2018, <clears throat> uh, Ashwin Vellemse accused Nick Mallet and Nas Bota of being racist. Were you already the production manager for rugby at that time? <laughs> yes, I was. So for you, how did you see that that episode? What do you think could have been done better if it was handled better? And if if you are the production manager of that production at the time, what is your response? What was your response towards doing that? Um Number one, there are there are hierarchies to 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 an organization, and there are different portfolio holders in the organization. Yeah. Like my 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 stretch, my arm only limits to a production. Okay. And then when a production happens, there's then an executive producer who takes the responsibility of making sure that that production is delivered. Right. And from the executive producer's perspective, then you find that we've got a communication department uh, at Lyndon Fannerberg who look after the overall brand association for, for Supersport, what the people are saying and what the media is saying about Supersport and also giving feedback to the people about Supersport. So what I'm trying to say is that in, in my little expert opinion of a production manager. I unfortunately cannot comment on the matter because it was just outside of my role as a production manager, if I can say so. Okay. So it was it was on a higher level. Okay. <laughs> so it sounds was on like a higher a, level. Sounds like a safe <laughs> kind of answer. <laughs> but yeah, I mean <laughs> Being from uh, being from uh, Belabela, I think we're very proud of the work that you're doing. So, I just want to find out: was throughout your career, throughout your life, is there a specific point that for you you can term your turning point? Um, I think the turning point was was. The, in 2009, when I worked at the final draw, the FIFA final draw in Cape Town, because coming, like by then, in 2009, I didn't know what Super Squad was, honestly, I can tell you that. I did not associate myself with pay TV, television. I, I was just a journalism student who was just new into this industry of learning and understanding what journalism and broadcasting is to, to South Africa. So at the 2009 FIFA final draw, when I was a media volunteer, there was a guy by the name of, uh, name of Eric Delafante who took a group of us, of some interns, I was included in that group, into the broadcasting part of how we are going to deliver this broadcast to the viewers at home. Honestly, it was my first time seeing and understanding how satellite television actually works and understanding what 
inputs are required for a production to be delivered to 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 the viewers at home so that was my turning point because being fascinated by those like being fascinated by the technical things that were happening behind the scenes for us to just deliver an image to a tv screen across south africa including the world to me that was my turning point on how i got into into broadcasting i fell in love with with the technicalities of broadcasting i fell in love with with understanding how it takes technology to deliver such a beautiful content mm. to the rest of the world. So that's when I had my turning point. That's when I realized that actually I am really hooked by this. I am really interested in this. And that's why I, after my studies, I decided to, to do some, some little qualification on film and television so that I can be able to have the practical knowledge of understanding how each and every resource contribute to delivering a production brilliant okay so if someone was to say you know what basically what you just said blows me away i'm a young person or i'm a person trying to change my own career and i'd like to become a production manager someday what would what would be the advice that you give to this person yeah, number one, I'll say I have have passion for 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 what you're doing. So if you are really passionate about it, remember that the media and broadcasting world is not your normal nine to five job. It it requires lengthy hours of dedication into your craft. It requires you to to almost at some point prioritize your work more than your family, so your work more than your friends. Because if you're looking at becoming a production manager for sports, sports happens on weekends, meaning that you're going to miss a lot of wedding. You're going to miss a lot of funerals. Right. You're going to miss a lot of birthday parties because hmm. you'll be working on, on weekends. Okay. So if you, number one, you need to make that mental choice to learn to sacrifice time. Because okay. for you to be able to sacrifice time, once you put in the hours, once you put in the works and you understand how television and everything works, it becomes easier for you to grow from one level to the other. So by st like, if I'm making myself an example, if I had not become a production intern, I would not understand what the role of a production assistant is. Had I not become grown from a production assistant role, I would not understand what the role of a production coordinator is in is in delivering a production. Had I not become a production coordinator, I had not, I would not have been able to understand what a production manager is supposed to be doing, what influence they have on the production, what powers do they have in making sure that we deliver such a thing. So by doing that, you'll also understand that as you are growing from one level to the next, you'll be you'll be faced with different challenges. So your challenges that you are facing at a production manager level compared to what you have as an intern will be completely different. However, you need to trust the journey. You need to be very patient with the journey and not regard challenges as something that will make you step back and withhold yourself. However, as something that will push you to actually try and grow further into becoming something bigger into the industry. So when you're looking about becoming a production manager, number one, you need to have 
interpersonal skills. You need to be able to build relationships. You need to be able to communicate. You need to be able to, to, to know your accounting. As horrible as I am with accounting, you need to know the basics of accounting. Because right. what you are required to do, it includes money. So when you are responsible for the money of the whole department of, of, of rugby, it requires you to have some certain level expertise of, of accounting or, or economics that you need to be able to constantly use every now and then when you are making decisions that will influence the production. Sometimes you need to make a call that is it worthy for us to take this production to, to a venue or will it be easier for us to do this production in your studios? That's when you'll consult your head of production, you'll consult your uh, executive producers and you guys will sit together. They'll come up with a concept because they've got the creative minds, but you as the production manager, need to come up with the minds of, a, you need to be the, become the business person. Because okay. they are the creators. But however, yes. every now and then you need to be able to say, however, when you go that route, it's going to cost us this much. When you go this route, we'll be saving this much. And when you right. go that route, is it possible for us to actually do something this way, including cost savings, number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, making sure that we don't compromise the product that we are putting on air. So okay. in almost every daily choices that you make as a production managers, it involves that. So it is very important to also take your education very serious because I did not study accounting. I studied journalism and journalism has no numbers. However, after studying journalism, I realized that I want to grow in this thing. So I studied, uh, I went and studied project management and generic management. That's when the, basics of accountings and economics were introduced to me that's why okay. today i'm able to actually do a little bit of accounting for the department that i'm looking after okay so are those there was that the first uh, advice or is it all the advisors that you've just packaged so you those said uh, you need so you said you need personal interpersonal relationships uh yeah. what else did you say Communication skills. Okay. And finance skills. Okay. Finance skills. Okay. And the, the, the most important one is that you need to, Sacrifice. to have the passion. Yes. The passion for it. Because it you're going to miss, yeah, because you said people yeah. are going to miss the weekends because this thing happens on the weekend. Yes. So, and I'd like to pick on that because you're a mother, right? To uh, you said she was born in 2015. 2015. So she's about five, four, four, five right now. So what does this challenge of working weekends do to the relationship that you need to be forming with your daughter as she grows? As a, as, as a production manager and being a mom and being a student and being many other things that I am besides what I do at work and at school has put in so much pressure on me playing my role of being a mom fully. So number one, living in Johannesburg, as, as you may know, it's not so economically friendly. So budget becomes a restriction as a single parent. And one of the hard choices that I had to make was whether I'm gonna bring my child to Johannesburg to stay with me 
or allow my child to stay back at home with my grandmother. I did try for, for, for close to a year, staying with my child and my nanny. However, one of the core things that I kept on missing was that I come back home late. On weekends, I'm working. When I'm at home, I am working. Hmm. When I'm at work, I'm working. When I'm at a funeral, I'm working. And I hardly ever have time to be a mom to, to, to my child. Whereby now I had introduced this stranger to become a mom to my child. And I look at myself that who's benefiting here? Hmm. I'm becoming selfish about my role as a mother. Hmm. So I decided, no, let me take my child back at home so that the person that raised me up can raise my child. So my child is staying with my grandmother okay. and I see her twice, three times a month, or sometimes as regular as I can. Okay. So on those days and times when I'm seeing him, I, in most cases, I literally have to send an email to everyone and tell them I am unreachable this weekend, meaning that do not call me, do not WhatsApp me, do not text me, do not do anything that will try to make you have any connection with me because I'm trying to focus on my role as a mother and being there because you can't just be a mom because of a child. You need to be able to be there. You need to check on the child. How are you doing? What are, you current, what are your current changes? What is, what is happening in your world? Have conversation with families who are raising this child up to find out and check out how's this child doing. Because mm. those are the people that will always, always give you honest feedback on what your child is doing. So it, it is quite, it's quite hard. I, I won't, I, it's not for the, it's not for, for, for everyone. Other people end up not having kids uh, because of this, of this job. Other people end up going through divorces because of this job. Other people end up having relationship problems to an extent whereby you actually end up quitting the work because the pressures of the work have now affected your personal life to such an extent that your families are, are being at a disadvantage of the situation. Sure. All right. Uh, sounds like a very, very tough job. We're going to take a short little break and come back with Basie after this. And we're back from the break. Um, thank you so much, Basie, for giving us a glimpse of what it takes to be a production manager for one of the largest uh, TV stations in the world. Do you know how big uh, Supersport is in, in comparison uh, globally? Yes, we're quite big, actually. <laughs> okay. We are, we are, we are in, in, the, in, the, in, the lines, in the line of BBCs, in the lines of Skies, in the lines of ITV. We, we are in there. We are competing with them. We are working also together with them. So we've got, we've got relationship with those big broadcasters. Yeah. Because if, if I look at what we were doing last year with the Rugby World Cup, mm. it wasn't just super sport bringing the Rugby World Cup to, to you. Okay. Uh, we had to depend on our relationship with other broadcasters to assist us in delivering the best Rugby World Cup that we could ever deliver under the conditions that we are under due to, to our South African market. So we, we are up there in the, in, the, in the world. So if you ask BBC about Supersport, they'll definitely know anything about that. If we ask them about Basie, will they know? 
if you ask the rugby department about this, they'll definitely know. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Um, so let's take it down a little bit, right? So, um, what is your most repeated song of the week, and why? Do you have a repeated song? Um, this week I've been quarantined because of my current medical situation. <laughs> Are you also a coronavirus <laughs> sufferer? <laughs> I'm, I'm proclaiming myself as well. <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't listened to so much to, to music per se. Yeah. Um, but on Tuesday, I was in Bilavila to bury one of my... My neighbor has lost the, the child who was the same age as Lifika. So it was quite a sad day for me on Tuesday. And the song that I was actually playing was... Um, what is it? I think Ulifika Laga Jehovah. It kept, I, I don't know. I could, I, you know, when someone is going through a situation, you realize that this could have happened to, to any of us. This could have been me. This could have been you. This could have been anyone around the world. And you sometimes forget that there is, there is a master God and a mastermind in everything that we do. Yes, we have individual plans, but the big, big plan lies with them. So playing that song, Ulifika Laga, naming my child Ulifika, it was an emotional down for me, I must say. It was an emotional down for me. Looking at the journey that I've been through with my child, looking at how my child interacted with, with Desiree, how Desiree lived her life to the fullest. So Desiree had a, a hole in her heart. And we yeah. only found out, like a good two years or so, she had a hole in her heart and she she was just one young child who was full of life mm. and having her growing up next to our home you know like you we literally become your stepsisters your stepmothers your step everything yeah. so Desiree was there to us and when I asked my daughter why is Desiree she 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 holds it back. She she she's like, yeah, I'll talk of this. But I kept on asking myself, does she understand the meaning of of death? Does she understand that she'll never see this child again? That hmm. this week when she coming back from 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 preschool, the atlehang or the desre that she used to cross the street to go and play with will no longer be there. Hmm. So I'm asking myself, how how is she actually surviving this? Because it must be a, a shocker and a half for sure. someone at such a young age to be experiencing death or trying to understand death. I, like, I, I wish I had powers to go into people's minds so that I can see what's happening right. in their mind. Like, do they understand the concept of death? Is she aware that this person will no longer be there? Uh, she can't go over to that house anymore and ask Desiree's mom, Hi, okay, Desiree, anymore. Because, yeah. Wow, are, you, are, are you afraid of death? Um, I've experienced death so much. I've, I've started experiencing death at a very young age. When I was, I think, 10 or so, my aunt was shot by her boyfriend in mm. Alexander. Mm. And I think a good two years or so, I lost my great-grandmother, who was very close to me. And 
I can't say every two years has not passed without me losing someone. So yeah. what I'm scared of is of leaving my child behind. Right. I'm not scared of death, but I'm scared of leaving my child behind. And what I'm also very scared of is I'm scared of my child leaving me behind because I don't know what I will t- call myself as after that because I think she has now become part of my identity that I call myself a mom because of her. So right. if she were, to, she were to be gone tomorrow or today or I were to be gone tomorrow or today, what world will we be living in? Will we be able to survive it? Will will I be able to cope? Will I have another child? Will like it's one of the big questions that I have in my mind every now and then when I come and experience that. It's like, you know what? What will happen should I die to my child? What will happen should I should my child die to me? Like I don't like I don't know. That's one subject that I try not to have in my mind so much because I'm trying to, to, by all means, to live a fearless life. However, in living a fearless life, there are realities that everything that lives needs to die. So, sure. yeah. Wow. So on the show, that's a very somber thought. And uh, so on the show, we have a question called the random question, which okay. we don't prepare you for, which is very controversial. You can choose to answer it or not, right? Okay. Um, but if you answer it, we'll be very happy. Is <laughs> sports broadcasting, especially rugby, is it a very unfriendly and very racially discriminating place? And if um, I add that, is it also not friendly to women, given what you said about, you know, the sacrifices you had to make to, so that your, your daughter could now experience normalcy in her life? That's a, that's a question, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Look, you can choose to answer it or not. It's a random one. Um, can I answer 40% of it? Okay. Um, so let me say it's friendliness to women. Um, broadcasting is, is trying, the broadcasting industry in South Africa is trying to open up to women, if I may say so. With, with that being said, if you look at the broadcasting industry, it is male-dominated. So the current stigma, so the current challenges that we have with women coming into a male-dominated industry, it, 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 it builds some unnecessary connotation to say that women who come into the broadcasting industry have to slip their way into the industry. So mm. if you look at the scandals that normally comes out around broadcasting industry, I don't, I don't know if you've got, you've got Twitter and stuff, 
Yes. It will be like some production companies trying to hire something. There were auditions. However, women uh, had to sleep with a producer so that they can get a role. And those are the little unfortunate things that comes with broadcasting that it's not really, it's not really friendly for women. Okay. And it not being really friendly for women, it means that when you come into the broadcasting industry, because it is male dominated and it's people who've been in the industry for over 10 to 15 to 30 years. Like these are the people who actually started television in South Africa, if you have to come to look at. If, if you were to go in and try and be a disruption in that world, you'll easily be crushed out because hmm. they, they, they have what they called what we, I like to call as a brotherhood element that okay. any woman that comes in and try to be part of the game or to be part of the team, it, it becomes a very awkward thing because it's, it's, it's a gentleman's club. It's a gentleman's it's like, it's like you're trying to go to a gentleman's club as a woman. Like now the first thing the guys will turn back. It's like, okay, did you not see that the side that say gentleman club? So what are you doing here as a, as right. a woman? Right. So those are the current challenges that you will find in a broadcasting industry, in the sports broadcasting industry, is that it's a, it is a gentleman's club. And we need to find a way of making males understand that I am not here to take your job. However, I am here to make sure that you become better at your job. I am here so that you can equip me with the necessary skills and tools so that we can carry the, the broadcasting industry to the next level that we all foresee it to be. So because when you're coming in as a woman in a broadcasting industry or anyone in the broadcasting industry, it being very limited industry, it, it, it questioned the first thing that you asked you is that okay, what's in whose job are they gonna take? Hmm. So being a, a very scarce resource department or industry, when you're coming in as a producer, you're asking yourself, okay, whose job am I gonna take? When you're coming in as a PA, like okay, who does she know? Who did she sleep with so that she can get the role? Because the doors to broadcasting, as much as we like to think that are wide open they are still limited to, to, to certain few people. So that's why you'll find people doing Bachelor of Arts in film and television and not finding any form of permanent employment because the industry itself keeps innovating to a level that what you have today is exciting and as new as relevant. Tomorrow it's old news. You look at how we are doing broadcasting today. The old days of us running with tapes and ingesting tapes and making sure that everything is synced before it goes online. That has now been replaced by technology, meaning that you've killed possibly three people's jobs. Hmm. You've killed three people's jobs with the machine. And if you look at how we are doing television right now, people using their phone to shoot uh, and hear music video, people using the, the, the phone for us to have this podcast. It's us affecting on the broadcasting industry. Yes, it is innovative, mm. but at what cost? Right. Do you, yeah. do, do you have someone who's in your black book or that 
moment where you met someone who you never thought you'll meet, but because of the work that you do, you met this person and you're very excited to meet them? Yes, I have. <laughs> who is this person? So, yeah. So when I, I joined Supersport, actually, let me say, when I joined the media world, my dream was to make a course breaker, which I've met, and that was a big boss tick for me. However, okay. we didn't have a conversation, but I did meet Chris Baker. So okay. after meeting Chris Baker, I was like, this, I would love to meet the president. And last year at the Rugby World Cup, I was fortunate enough to meet the president uh, when he came to visit the Springbok team in Japan. Mm -hmm. And I met him and some other few people that he was with, the Minister of Arts and Culture, Mr. Natim Tweta was there. And with that, from super sport and multi-choice perspective, in terms of our hierarchies, I've always wanted to meet Mr. Patel. Right. So Mr. Patel is MTS. Is the brains, yes, is the mm. brains behind multi-choice. Like he is the guy that makes things move. Right. And I wanted to meet this guy. So when I got the privilege of meeting him last year, which I did meet him previously, but it was not under uh, a, a, a platform or a place whereby you'll actually have to get my name I'll have to introduce myself and you'll be able to be able to identify me and what I do at Supersport. So last year when we did the Rugby World Cup, that provided me with that opportunity. And to my shock, when I was actually introducing myself to him, the first thing that he said is like, whoa, you must be busy. Are you busy the EFF lady? I'm like, <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> okay. What did you say to that? So we, so we made a joke about it. It's like, oh, I've heard so much about you, mm. and that's how I met him. And I was, I was honored to actually find out that he he knows me in a big corporate company like Multichoice to say, you know what. He said, I am, I'm very proud of the work that you are doing. And I know that to someone who's watching this Rugby World Cup broadcasting that we're doing, Bega South Africa, or anywhere in the world, they're thinking that because of the racial and transformation things that are happening around our country and around the rugby world, they'll think that there's a white woman looking after doing your job, or they'll, say, they'll think that there's a white guy doing my process job, Tato Manali's job. So he mm. said, I was, I'm, I'm, I'm really humbled and honored to have met such a young person doing this job. And I want to say thank you so much for, 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 for doing this for Supersport. And thank you so much for, for being the person that you are today. Yes, I've heard so much about you. However, I wanted to say from my mind, from my heart, that I'm very proud of what you are doing. And that, you see, that was just the cherry on top of my cake to say, you know what? Thank you, God in for all the hours that I've put in on this work, all the hours that I've invested in making sure that the rugby World Cup project becomes a success. With working with my team who are assisting me here in South Africa and working with a team that I was at, 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 as I was with in Japan to make sure that the sleepless night that we have put mm. in to making sure that we deliver the best that we can deliver under the current given conditions 
was was a humbling experience for me. It was it was you know it was it was just God affirming that yes. you are in the right place. It was God affirming that you know what, my child, you are in the right place. Yes. You are in the cooks. Right. You are within. Yeah. And with yeah, that I am within. <laughs> And with that, we also want to take this opportunity as we end the meeting to affirm you uh, as people from Belavela and as people from the Turning Point podcast to say, we're very proud of you. We are very proud of the work you're doing. And we'll keep telling people about the humble story that you have uh, come from and the great strides you have made in your career and your life. And we wish you more success and uh, more happiness. Thank you so much for giving us your time. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sabo. And hopefully in three years, four years' time, when we speak, I'll be the CEO of SuperSport. <laughs> we can't wait for that. We can't wait for that. And we know you're going to make it happen. All the best. <laughs> Thank you so much. Cheers. Bye-bye. Sure. Bye-bye. Remember, you can also be a part of the show by sending us your comments via voice notes or emailing us at the turning points podcast at gmail.com. The turning points podcast at gmail.com.